Hello, I'm Matt, and I own every issue of Spider-Girl Amazing, Spectacular, or Adjectiveless, or Otherwise. And I'm Shannon, and from down the webline, and I own a little bit of Spider-Girl. All right. <laughs> and today we have a guest. Would you just care to introduce yourself? Because I can't even begin. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So my name's Kat. Uh, most people probably know me as Comic Uno online, and uh, I currently write for Newsarama. I've worked for DC Comics, IGN, um, Fandom, TV Guide. So you might have read some of my comic book journalism uh, on the interwebs. And also I do a YouTube show, Comic Uno, which is where the name comes from. And uh, I write comic books, uh, like Follow My Daughter, and they call her Dancer. The call her Dancer is actually getting a uh, Kickstarter in, a, in like two weeks, which is very exciting. But that's like that's definitely the the meat of it all. It, 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 honestly, Twitter, you can follow me and and see more of what I do. Uh, but also, why I'm here, I'm a very very big Spiral fan from day well, not from day one, from 1998, but from day one, from when I started reading comics comic books uh, more and more I, I fell in love with the character and I've read these comics millions of times so uh, a very big fan you when I think Spider-Girl I think you're like the number one fan because I just remember you from years ago like doing all these great videos talking about it getting me excited to read it and I'm really excited to be able to talk Spider-Girl with you now because I just remember all that from years ago, and that's before you were all over the place. But if you guys aren't following Kat, there's no one who has just a love of comics that's thrown themselves in the way she has. No Thank one you. has more tenacity. No one's done more to like put themselves and just shown the true dedication. Like, I just it's awesome what you do, and I'm so happy we get to talk Spider Girl. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. Oh, yeah. This no worries. super exciting. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, I just real quick, like, we've been each other's orbit for, like, a decade, right? Like, Yeah, through, yeah. like, YouTube and stuff, which is just kind of nuts that it's been that long. Yeah, and I think this is the first time we actually got to sit down and talk. So, thank you for Crazy. coming on. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, you're listening to a very special, as just stated, Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we're unearthing just a fun side of Spider-Girl this time. Who cares about the other guy? He's there, but, you know, it's yeah. all about Spider-Girl. He's cranky. He is. <laughs> and uh, what, what's the title of what we're reading today, Shannon? So we're reading uh, the first volume of Spider-Girl. Uh, Whatever Happened to the Daughter of Spider-Man, Part 1. The writer is Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. This penciler is Ron Friends. Inker is Sal Buscema. Colorist is Gotham. Letterer is Dave Sharp. And editor is Molly Laser. So just a great cast of people working on this. I mean, I'm sure you've gone back and dug through like the some of the DeFalco stuff, the Friends stuff, and all that from you know Spider-Man proper. And Oh, yeah, for sure. Does this like feel like that to you? Because whenever I read this, it feels similar yet very different at the same time. And that's kind of what I like about it, right? Because it's from a different point of view. And I think that's definitely the biggest difference. And and also it's just before the Spider Gwens and before even Ultimate Spider-Man, it was just this like private pocket of the Marvel Universe where it's just like, yeah, they're doing MC2 stuff over there. And never really, not like today where everything has to come together and, and have Spider-Verse or whatever. So it, I think that's what, it felt very intimate. And maybe that's the difference between Spider-Girl and Spider-Man because obviously Spire, their run on Spider-Man was a flagship book and it was in the public eye. Mm -hmm. Spider-Girl, they were just doing their own thing. You know, they were just like, yeah, we're just going to tell a hundred and... 40 plus well 130 plus comic book and they did same creative team which is crazy yeah when you had all the weird like tucked in stuff i think it hits 150 but like in the middle of web of spider-man or whatever this book went to some weird places it did Honestly, and, and even be... publishing wise too because it went to different comics <laughs> uh -huh. honestly to begin with it feels very modern i think the especially the contrast in the beginning where they're going a very 90s story 
as in the the comic book itself that's in the story and then they introduce this world and it just it feels ahead of its time like we were going to get a taste of this in a few years but this was like the beginning well what's weird too i mean and to touch on the part that i kind of glazed over there sorry uh if you're looking to grab this issue or this story physical issues are a bit harder to come by but they're about what a used issue would be except for number one which is a touch pricier because it's a first issue slept at number one on a comic it's a little more you can find a trade you can find it on comiXology but only as a trade which i thought was interesting and it's on unlimited so i mean you can read this but the it's interesting shame that you're saying like where this was with the future and whatnot because i mean this was relatively recent i mean this is after a hundred issue run Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I just thought it was funny because, I mean, at this point, the lack of cell phones or the lack of technology was kind of weird. It was this weird, like, cu- like past future sort of idea where there are certain elements that were kind of futuristic and like just being freed from the shackles of the continuity of Spider-Man, let it feel so much more ahead. But then also like they're living in the 90s at the same time in some ways it was a weird push and pull in my mind for like the time placement of this yeah it's kind of interesting like going back to it because again i've only known it from when it kind of especially this series in particular i did read this when it came out so i'm just like i only know it from that that standpoint but like looking back at it it's hard because you have again the spider gwens or the miss marvels but then you do look at spider gwen that doesn't play with its time period as much right i feel like you could read spider gwen and she's not really using i mean she i guess she has her cell phone but they're not really using technology as much that it's so futuristic and so uh sci-fi in so so many ways because she's like transporting different places but because spider girl is a little bit more grounded it is kind of placed in its own time but then yeah when you look at the original series it's just so 90s it is like the uh, when you think the 90s you might just think that comic just because it just and i don't even say 90s as in 90s comics i just mean like if you like went through the 90s it just like felt like that decade so much oh yeah yeah it it's crazy also this one's more for you shannon like coming in starting off because we start off pretty much in the thick of it i feel did you feel lost at all are you able to kind of pick up the high school drama that was being laid down and everything else that we were being introduced to no i think it's a a credit to the to the creators who put the effort in that it wasn't a situation where i felt lost at all like the introduction was really well done you know i felt like i was just being dropped into the middle of high school drama but the introductions were handled so smoothly that you know, I didn't miss a beat on it. I didn't need to know about the hundred issues beforehand to know where Mayday was right now and what she was dealing with. I think the only thing that threw me was the way Peter looked. I was like, did MJ get remarried? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's this guy with a goatee? <laughs> but uh, other than that, it was very smooth. Okay, that's good. I... I yeah, I feel like you coming in cold was almost better because um, I was kind of in the middle of a Spider-Girl run and I forget what issue I left off on, but I was coming in and I was shocked that she was still in high school. And then the first time I saw her, she looked different than the way she was drawn in the earlier side of the original run. So I was like, oh, what's Mary Jane doing at the high school? And there's a couple cues I should have just picked up on where they call call her May, but like... I was just kind of a little lost, and these kids were asking her about this comic book version of Spider-Girl, which is where we get thrown in right away um, with the... When I say comic book version, that doesn't make sense to our listeners, but we're we're introduced on this kind of image 90s... Yeah, over-the-top 90s style, just way, way over-the-top, and it's great. In the, especially in the contrast when we get into the, the actual story. It's a cool intro, for sure. And then what's cool about it is that they actually play with it more, and they introduce, because Wes is a character um, that was new. So, and I, I 
and I think his his partner that he worked on with the comic was Jimmy, and Jimmy's been in the comic before, so Wes is one of the only new characters here. Um, but yeah, it's cool that they opened that way for sure. Yeah, and it lets them have some commentary in like comic shops and uh, whatnot at the time, which is a little tongue in cheek and fun and whatnot. But they're they're Spider Girls. Um, <laughs> teenage male influenced and you can tell that i like that idea it's just a fun way to bring people in bring in this high school drama and kind of kick off with this whole idea that may's trying not to be a crime fighter trying not to be spider girl and we've had those moments with peter where you know he's trying to just be peter and not be spider-man but that whole arc is played out across this entire story and for that i think there's more weight to it because it's not just like the first time someone's in trouble it's like oh well i just got to go save people there's some real tension here and ironically a lot of it comes from peter as the dad really pushing on her to not put herself in danger yeah that was super interesting just because that's a big part of her journey so if you read like the beginning stuff like the first series of spider girl um, her parents didn't want her to be Spider Girl for a really long time. And she's the one who says, hey, like, I have the responsibility to do this because these are my powers. And then, you know, in the long run, they're like, yeah, you know, you're right. I guess you should do this. And then I guess some background. Uh, the previous issue before this, so the, the last series, ended on issue 100. And May almost died. <laughs> like, she almost died. And that's why she quits. Um, it was like this whole Venom storyline, and and that's why we get to this point. But then it's the whole like you can never quit being Spider Man or Spider Girl. It's the it, they've always play with the you know um, you know I'm never gonna be Spider Man. That that whole uh, iconic arc from from the original and and play with it in a different way here. Um, and I love that. I, and honestly, I think that's the reason I picked this because it, it's it's um, new reader friendly in that way. But you're seeing a very different angle from the the Spider Mythos. And at this point. May did not lose anybody, so she's not doing it out of grief. She's just doing it out of, like, this is what my parents have always taught me. Um, and I love that side of it. And then her story did change when she went into the mainstream comics. Uh, but that's always something I enjoyed and the difference between any other spider heroes that she never she never needed to lose somebody to, to have those values. Yeah, but what's interesting, I think, is you can tell they're imparted by, you know, her dad, but at the same time, her dad's fighting against it. So that frustration you feel as a fan with like Peter being like, come on, you went through this. I just probably read this a few months ago with you. And now you're doing this to who'd be your daughter. And it feels so frustrating and annoying. But it so works because then you immediately empathize with May because, you know, that's what she's going through. That's what she's dealing with. So it's it's an interesting play with storytelling that only works with the weight of all those years of Spider-Man behind it. Yeah. And I think uh, you look at Peter's vote of motivations versus May's and that Peter, like May's guilt is so different compared to what Peter went through. Um, especially here, you know, as the story progresses and she finds herself pulled back into becoming a crime fighter that her guilt sort of originates with, you know, lying to her family, saying that she's not involved with anything, or at least the lie of omission where she just doesn't tell them that she's involved in things and that that hurts her. While when we reflect back on Peter when he was her age, that he felt it a little, like he felt guilt about lying to Aunt May and lying to other people about why he couldn't do what he could do, you know, why he couldn't live up to their expectations of him. But he didn't feel as much guilt as she does here. Yeah, she's not cashing in on it. Like, I think that makes it a little more true as well. Yeah. And so one thing that struck me is one of the big bads that who's gunning for Spider-Girl is the Hobgoblin, which threw me because he was older than Peter, you know, back in the day. This guy should be a fossil by now. Did they ever touch on that or are we just playing with comic book timelines? here? They're just playing with comic timelines at this point. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's like the vulture. It's all right. <laughs> he's still got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but around the Hobgoblin, we have all these new villains that, you know, play on different ideas as we go through. And I don't know, it's it's fresh and it's fun, but it's very much of its own identity. And like you said, although this would have taken place concurrent with the Ultimate Universe at the time, but I mean, it was established before kind of a proto marvel ultimate mc2u as in my eyes uh but there's such a more cohesive feel to the villains and whatnot here i think that's because tom defalco i think penned like 90 percent of anything in the mc2 like that was just his baby yeah for sure and i think that's what's so beautiful about all of this and then obviously him having so much knowledge about Marvel and and working at Marvel for so many years and being editor-in-chief and all that fun jazz and writing Spider-Man. You could tell that this is his baby and, and always will be. And, and that's what's been really interesting to see other people write May and always like interesting as a fan and even as a critic to like read other people's version of May. There's times where I feel like when they write May, it, it's not, it's always like the earlier version of her. Or obviously it's the the post uh, Spider-Verse version of her where she's just so um, bogged down by grief because I mean, I, a little background information on what's happened to May is that in Spider-Verse, if you guys have read it, um, her, her dad died. So, uh, and her brother was kidnapped and it was all this crazy stuff. When she got back, she she just bogged down with grief and, and she kind of became a different character because of it and understandably so. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to see how other people take it. And and going back to like the villain stuff, what's also interesting to see how Tom recreates mythos. So we get to see Eugene, um, the uh, um, son not, of Flash. His, yeah, son of Flash. Is his, is his name Eugene as well? I I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's Junior. <laughs> um, so we get to see that's May's boyfriend, and also not just the son of Flash. And we actually know this from. I guess previous issues is that that's also the son of Black Cat. Uh, and what's really fun about that is that Black Cat ends up leaving Flash uh, with a poor woman. And it's really interesting to see not, uh, we don't really get to see it with Eugene, but we get to see it with uh, their daughter and she becomes a Scarlet Spider, uh, which is kind of cool. And she wants to be like a hero. And she, you know, just the way, her relationship with her mother is really interesting because this whole book, is obviously May's relationship with her father and mother. So we get to see it from other legacy spider characters as well. Um, we get to see a little bit in this volume. It was more of a previous volume thing that uh, uh, the daughter ends up finding out May's secret identity and kind of blackmails her to be a, a sidekick, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that, I didn't get to that arc yet, but now I want to get to it. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's yeah already revealed. Like, cause Felicity is, you know, friendly with May, but it's because she knows, and she just wishes that she'd get back out there. Everyone is just sort of pushing her to get back out there and do it. Well, I mean, she has some characters pushing her towards that, and she's also running for student council to be president, and that's taking her one way with Gloria's daughter, and then. You know, her parents are pushing her another way. She has all these responsibilities she's thrown herself into as as a liked member of high school. And that's another big thing that set this apart for me is she's much more like an average kid. I mean, as much as we talk about Peter as the everyman or whatever, he had no social skills. He didn't really... I mean, they back wrote in friends for him in high school, but I mean... Originally, he was just on his own and nobody. And here, her having friends and responsibilities and whatnot, and understanding that push pull and then how a superhero would destroy all that makes it a lot more weighted than what we normally see of just like, oh, either by being a superhero, they have to give up, you know, the date that happens every now and again or something. And it just, I don't know, it just felt much more present because any time that we spend, in one place is being lost somewhere else and that that push and pull felt a lot more immediate and also i think what's interesting is that and i think it's in this arc where davida her one of her best friends says 
like I feel like you're trying to be normal for the sake of like being normal like you're Mm kind of pretending to do so and I think that's such an interesting comment and not again the whole her being normal slash popular has always been a part of the book is that she is very much Mary Jane and Peter's daughter so like she's always had friends and that's always been a part of it but like her trying to you know run for student council and all this other stuff like that that's kind of new. She just like wanted to do her own thing. Like she was part of the basketball uh, team. Like she loved that. She quit doing that. Uh, so like she did that stuff. But it's kind of I love that comment where it's like, well, you're trying to pretend to do this. And and it, because she quit being Spider Girl, that's what she's putting all her time and effort in. Be like, oh, what does a normal teenager do? Right. And with that normal teenager thing, she has this weird rival in um, Simone who looks like a evil Gwen Stacy, basically. <laughs> Literally, like my thoughts when I saw her, I'm like, oh, it's evil Gwen. <laughs> yeah, which to me was maybe one of the weaker points because she I, she just looks like a villain. It's like, just make her look like a blonde girl, I guess. Um, it, it, so is there any weird backstory with Simone? Like, is she a Stacy or... She's not a Stacy, but her dad ends up working for this group that's connected to Green Goblin. So he's like working for Green Goblin in some way, if I remember correctly. So that was like the big thing is that her dad's a villain, but they never really like did much with it. She doesn't become like a super villain or anything. She's just like, you know, a mean girl. She's just a Regina George. And also there's some drama between um, like the boyfriend and May and, and um, Simone, father and that. Nothing too much. Yeah, it's the MJ Gwen competition coming back in a different view, which is interesting. But I don't, to me, it's like, well, then you can't let evil Gwen win. That's just horrible. But who is she winning? Let's be honest. She's well, winning. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> just let her win. You're like, oh, no, I lost. Oh, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Eugene seems like flashback in high school like yeah you're right <laughs> he never gets better either he, he doesn't have a development arc like flash did he's just just kind of a jerk honestly yeah well i mean flash didn't get better till he got out of high school so that tracks <laughs> yeah true actually they all didn't get better until they got out of high school in the original <laughs> yeah. i agree with that as well they are they're all high school i would say that uh May and her friends are a little bit more mature than maybe Peter and his friends back in the day. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. I, uh, <laughs> I I actually think a few of May's friends are a touch too mature at times. Like Davida, who's, I swear, she is Glory's daughter, right? No, she's not related to anybody. Uh, okay she's just uh <laughs> she's just she's just like Gwen you'll Gwen here just yeah. uh, a glory stand-in yeah okay well I she is she's more mature than I am well maybe not say <laughs> much but uh she's a little hard to believe as a high schooler but she's a great character for the tension here she's just <laughs> she's just out of place yeah Um, and I guess what makes this a little funnier to talk about, as opposed to a through with the story, is that we kind of have really three stories going on that all intermingle. We have the high school drama, we have this building superhero drama, and then just the interpersonal, you know, daughter-parent stuff going throughout that we keep checking in on and keep interplaying. And yeah, so... I, I mean, eventually, you know, after a couple other villains of the week, there's this Frost Witch that May has to deal with because she's killing people and you can't just, you know, let that slide. Oh, no. But the the enemies always, at least with this one specifically, it ties back to the sort of, the kind of hardships that women go through. So May's villains, like, at the root of, why she's even fighting them is that they are in some way connected to this volunteer work that she does at a local women's shelter. Mm-hmm. And this uh, uh, bitter frost woman 
she's sort of like the person who fell through the cracks, the woman who was abused and tormented and has now the power to seek revenge. And so just another example of how the villains sort of differ for someone like Mayday. For sure. I agree. And I feel like what I liked also is that it's always connected to her interpersonal story uh, in that regard. But then also like, like you just said, is just that it's connected to the volunteer job she has. And then it's connected to her friend Courtney. Um, So I, I love that stuff. And, and it brings a unique voice to a new villain who could have just been there to, you know, for Mayday to fight. But there's actually a, a nice backstory with her and some good action sequences as well with her. Yeah, it feels like that classic day of Spider-Man that we're kind of past where, like, even though the villains are kind of incidental, they'd sometimes just have a little more meat on the bone because the writers were putting in the work. And it makes the whole thing sing a lot more with the, you know, the mirroring of whatever the characters going through at the time like you just pointed out with may here with the with the frost what's her name <laughs> bitter bitter frost bitter, sorry something about cold villains in particular just you know they're a dime a dozen yeah well i also think we have her um the supervisor at the at the women's shelter and i think this is an example of what's good about the story is an example of responsibility that Mayday sort of takes heart to more than any other. And that's this woman literally did all that she could for the Bitter Frost character when she was just a normal human being. Not any more than you would expect from a social worker. You know, she reached out, she was denied, so she moved on to the next case. And she's regretted it ever since then. Because you know, this girl did end up being abused. She did end up being hurt. And, you know, Mayday sees that and she sees, you know, my responsibility goes beyond just saving someone in the moment <clears throat> and hoping everything works out better later. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you have to take that extra step. Sometimes you have to really reach out much further because terrible things can happen to people in the meantime. Yeah, that that's great. That actually brings up a question for me that I was curious what you two thought with um, DeFalco and Friends penning this. Uh, I, I think they do a pretty deaf job with a number of female characters, but I was wondering if you guys ever felt there was any falling points with that throughout? I personally never have. I feel like they, they definitely have done their research and it doesn't feel like, you know... Um, I would say a fake female voice. It never feels like that. I feel like every character is pretty three dimensional. Um, and, and again, it's the complete opposite. Like why does may have a different experience than Peter? And it also is because she's coming from a female point of view. So I always think they've done a really good job. I also want to give credit to maybe the editor. Um, oh. um, Casada. Molly laser. Oh, yeah. Molly, Molly laser, because I mean, like, Friends and DeFalco could do the research, but they also have to run it sort of by her, and she was able to make sure everything tracked correctly. So I wouldn't doubt that she had an influence as well. That's fair. I always kind of am afraid to point to the editor, because I don't... It's really impossible to me just seeing the end product to kind of point to where the editor would have influence over a book without outside notes. Um, were you able to kind of look through the matrix and see some of that though, or just, you know, I just, is it just implicit here. I just feel like it's implicit. Okay. Yeah, totally fair. I just, that that's something I, I've been afraid because in the past I've pointed to editorial and I've gotten notes like, no, <laughs> it's, it's clearly possible that there was no influence at all. But I just feel like if a woman's editing, then possibly she might have some influence. Oh, I mean, she definitely probably does. I just, uh, like I said, just afraid to point to it because where editorial comes in on a book is hard for me to see. But you're 100% right. Uh, Yeah, and then 
it, for me, a standout was this Mad Dog issue, who's this guy who's like a TV bounty hunter coming in using a bunch of gadgets from Spider-Man's villain's past. It's such a weird way to bring kind of the fight ideas of Spider-Man's past in in with this new character who's and this points to that that kind of like past future hybrid where he's this bounty hunter for tv whereas you know now and even kind of in the day it might have made more sense to make him like a youtube star or something or something equivalent to that idea more so instead uh but it fits and it feels you know like the next step but it's also tied to this technology of basically the 90s that's true you definitely wouldn't see that type of arc now just because like especially if you're targeting teenagers uh who i guess would be reading this book as well it's like would they be even know like, <laughs> like a type of tv personality like him probably not because you're right it's like youtube uh, but then it's hard to uh bring that connection let's say you're you're making uh, a spider girl now like would you yeah. mention tiktok would you mention youtube because then also 10 years later you're gonna probably date yourself i think it's always in writing try not to put technology as depending on the story but i feel like if you put technology or let's say slang or whatever you're gonna always end up dating yourself no matter what because everything's gonna you know everything changes oh certainly yeah totally uh, I, I, we see that with a different Spider-Girl series along the line where Maddie's tweeting and then that Twitter account existed and that was their big kind of outside media push for the book. And, it, and it's only a few years after this, really. Um, but here it's, you know, it's this mad dog guy on TV and he's such a weird character because he's fronting like he's, you know super serious or whatnot but really a lot of it it's just what his producers feed him whatever he thinks gonna is gonna make good ratings and when he's one-on-one with spider girl he spills the beans without like any real reason to he's just happy to talk to someone almost get it off his chest i just thought that was such a interesting little little twitch for someone who's you know wanting to be famous it tracks but it was just also weirdly convenient. I d- this issue is just a standout for me because it was just like a lot of hijinks and fun in the middle of all this other kind of super serious, strenuous uh, drama. Oh yeah, I, I enjoyed his character. I think that sort of honesty, what she's having these moments where she feels like she's being duplicitous and having him out there just being completely honest with who he is and what he's doing. It's a nice contrast. I kind of forget how much this volume has such an interesting mix of characters and story. Uh, you know, again, I, I introduced this volume like, yeah, we should read this. Because I was just thinking from an artwork perspective, um, the mm. 90s one is a little le- less approachable just because, again, it's so 90s. So I'm like, OK, anytime I try to recommend a Spider-Girl comic, this is the one to read because you can read all these dirty issues. Be like, oh, that was one. And then go back to the issue hundreds. Um, but I also like just forget how great the story is and forget like how diverse the story is yeah no and one thing here that really seeds for the future is as they're prepping for this big high school debate may's landing on this you know conversation about personal responsibility while she's feeling like a liar because she's taking time out to be spider girl and she's lying to her parents about it and all these other various factors that come from her doing what she also feels she has to do due to responsibility it's in this insane tug and pull and what's really putting more weight on it i'm realizing now that i'm saying out loud is peter like had this stone wall where uh, you know classically not always aunt may and others didn't know he was spider-man the only time he kind of had to have the push and pull was with mary jane which was much more as an equal sort of idea but here she knows she's lying to her parents and they understand the whole superhero thing and so it's a very different thing but at the same time mary jane uh gave her the suit to go save lives because she understands that side of it so she's getting these mixed signals and her struggle with responsibility is more nuanced just because of the character dynamics 
100% agree. And it's also interesting to see how Mary Jane has grown. Not, not that Mary Jane was a two-dimensional character at all when she was introduced, but it, it's just so interesting to see how her character arc has grown to see, even in this series, of like, okay, she always wanted to protect Peter. She always was kind of, like, upset that Peter would go out and be like, oh, my God, you're putting yourself in harm's way. You might die. Um, especially because her arc, actually, uh, in this MC2, the reason why Peter quit is because of a uh, battle between him and Green Goblin. He lost his leg. And he's like, I have a kid now. I can't do this anymore. And then obviously May got powers and, and she ended up taking up the mantle. So it's kind of interesting to see, yeah, the person who didn't want her to be Spider-Girl. And same thing for Peter. It was just like, yeah, here's the suit. I get it. And I love that. But yeah, I also get the mixed single uh, for sure there. Um yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. It really is. I, I just, I love how they play with the responsibility in this series. Which raises my favorite Marvel question. Did Xavier ever try to recruit her? Oh, I'm trying to remember if they did any X-Men stuff here. Um, I don't, there was a mutant. So the only time I feel like I remember uh, was there was a mutant where she went up against uh, a, a rival basketball uh, star and she she's like oh man she's really good like it may in the back of her head it's like I have powers like literally my spider sense is allowing me to be good at basketball and she was good before but she was like a lot better because she had superpowers and then this person um she also had superpowers she had like telekinesis but low level telekinesis and she was even better than may and then she gets outed about being a mutant and then she left to go to the x-men and that's the moment where may's like oh shit responsibility I got to quit the basketball team, this thing that I really love, because it's unfair to people. So that's the only time I remember. There's maybe actually in this uh, story arc as well, there's another character who becomes a mutant and um, goes a different route, kind of goes a brotherhood route, which was really interesting. But sadly, they never did any mutant stuff with May herself. But there was like a lot of relatability, though, because that character found out she was Spider-Girl. And like to see the comparison of being a mutant in Spider-Man was really interesting. Or, you know, a spider person. Yeah, definitely. Huh. Cool. <laughs> um, I, I don't know really where to take it next here, because I feel like everything just kind of swings towards the conclusion. But I don't know if you guys had any other points along the way. Over here, I'm looking at when she's rescuing uh, the woman who had the disc that was... All right. And uh, that May keeping from her parents, keeping these secrets has also uh, harmed her ability to actually do her job because she can't actually make web fluid. So she Mm -hmm. sort of finishes the story going forward, trying to rescue people and do everything without one of her most important uh, tools. And so the the price that she continues to pay by keeping secrets gets worse and worse as we go along. That's a really good point. I totally forgot about that portion of the story. And also, like, again, it goes back to, okay, emotionally, that's a really cool story. Because, like, okay, she's not telling her dad. But visually, that's a really interesting story. Because she has to be Spider-Girl without web fluids. You're seeing action in a really different way, which is just super cool. Yeah, no, it, it it is interesting. It, what makes it even a little more fun is uh, it's Wells' girlfriend, right? Who's dressing up like the the, the image '90s Spider Girl in cosplay, and so Spider Girl's having to say this, save this girl who is dressed up as Spider Girl, who's there to promote their comic, and, and that's why they're coming after her because they're after the real Spider Girl. It's all the confusion around that. It brings it all together and like you said like because she's this element in play in the world her inability to take responsibility for it is really a problem at this point and her responsibility lies beyond just her family and i think this was a really keen and kind of tongue-in-cheek way to play on that whole idea with her having to save you know the whole comic shop idea of it. And I just thought it was so deft. And also with that, seeing an old, I think this is a great time to have an old Spider-Man villain. Cause this is the sort of Parker luck that would have come through before as well. 
it, it just highlights the whole necessity and moment of and how this is really her time i just the conclusion of this story like elevates it i think that's a big thing for any story the conclusion really should probably be stronger than the opening and we definitely have that here i agree i agree for sure and i i like the essentially the the coming clean with her parents you know and MJ already knowing to an extent that it's, you know, she's back in the webs, but that Peter being completely, you know, blindsided by it. And it's funny to me, especially when May, over the course of the story, talks about how her father was always upstanding and, you know, that she feels guilty about lying to him. When I think also about all the times that Peter just lied to people about what he was doing. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and like her regard for her father is sort of without the flaws. Like she's very much a child looking up to her dad on a pedestal and how we as readers, we know that Peter, you know, would hate to be on a pedestal because of what's happened to him in the past and what he's done in the past. And this, I think is like the first step for her to also have like a give and take relationship with her parents. Like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go out and wear the costume. And this isn't like a one-time conversation we're having here and we're done. This is an ongoing negotiation between us. But I can't just leave this behind. You know, I have a responsibility to it. Maybe not in the same way you did, but I have it and I'm going to fulfill it. And she's like, she's a really level-headed character. And I'm not not saying this is not a character without flaws. I think May, what's interesting about May is she definitely does. And sometimes she gets really angry and she doesn't know what to do with that anger. And there's always, those are really interesting scenes. But yeah, the way she talks to her parents, she never, she's always really respectful. And you don't really get to see that with teen stories. But at the same time, it's never like she, she, she definitely looks up to her father. But I don't know if she sees her father as perfect. And I do like that, and, I, and, and maybe that happens after this story even more. I don't remember uh, if, it, if it does or not. I think that's super interesting is just to, to see someone, because Peter, you know, sometimes he's really rash as a character. So it's kind of cool to see how May um, is a little bit more methodical about her thoughts. And there's not a moment where May's like, well, you know, you're not my dad or I hate you, you know? like, But they, she does get angry at him and say, like, puts logic into it and i think that's really interesting for a teenage story no it's interesting for a teenage story but also coming out from the other end seeing where peter's at like this peter is at a point where his leg is busted and he's stopping spider-man and that's the ultimately the lesson he learned despite the you know however long he was spider-man but it's like at the same time because he's an adult now he forgot what it was like to be a kid at the time. And so a lot of the stuff is very much, these are rules for you, you know, do what I say, not what I do. And for that, he's very much kind of, I don't want to say failed, but maybe not the best parent he could be because a lot of the lessons he lessons he learned was there. I also, I'm kind of reading through here based on what we know, but also like he may have had some failings as a parent because he never had the best model like his parents were basically his uncle and his aunt right who were fossils to gradually becoming younger but (laughs) (laughs) you know he, he never had a true father figure through these years and so i think some of that we can kind of see through and for that i i just think it's interesting to see that we're seeing a peter that's weaker in a lot of different ways which again makes this so much more may's book and makes it exciting and makes it feel more forward moving because it's generational and and i really like that dynamic and whatnot Uh, but part of the reason i can enjoy it is because i can you know read this and then go back to my comfy old spider-man books did you guys have any other thoughts about like peter as parent through this I think I agree with you completely, for sure. Uh, yeah, they're they're not perfect people, and and I mean Peter is not a perfect person, Mary Jane's not perfect, but they try their best, and that always shines through. Yeah, and what you were saying about how May deals with Peter, it feels 
kind of akin to how Mary Jane deals with Peter in a number of different ways. And I think in a lot of ways she takes more after Mary Jane than Peter. Oh, by far. I think all she got from Peter was powers and the hair color. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, she's definitely Mary Jane's kid, which is always fun to see. Uh, Is this like, yeah, okay, she inherited the the powers, this idea of responsibility, but she, she definitely got her her thoughtfulness for Mary Jane. So with that, despite the kind of, supposedly her powers are slightly diluted, I guess, from what Spider-Man's are, but I, she seems to be a more thoughtful, caring person and hero overall, I'd say. Oh yeah, for sure. And she has, I think, one different power is that she's able, like the stuff that she st- like could stick to, she could repel back. That's kind of interesting. I don't know if she uses it that often, but she has that. Uh, so she, like, I would say, so from what I remember, because they did, like, a whole, like, comparison of his powers to hers. So mm-hmm. she's not as strong, but she's more agile than him. Yeah. So she's faster than him. And then, yeah, the way that she sticks to walls is a little different than he does. Yeah, it- I remember this comparison. I remember reading through and being like, okay, so I, again, it's the the girl, not the man, right? Like, she's more agile, not quite as strong when you're talking peak stuff here. But I feel like sometimes people get too caught up on that. Like, I don't, just from a martial arts background, like, it only takes like 32 kilograms at the right point on your chin to knock you out. Like, if you know what you're doing, a little bit of strength versus agility, the agility wins out. Like, <laughs> So for sure. Yeah, I, I I've never seen that slow her down too much, though. There's a couple points where they touch on that with various supervillains. Well, I think her enemies are a little more like suited to her. I think Peter dealt with a lot of things that required a lot of strength, you know, a lot yeah. of, like fighting Dr. Octopus. Yeah, agility is really good to get in there close. But when he hits you, when you get to get a hold of one of those arms. <laughs> having a little bit of power helps i would guess so you know i've just never had to deal with it personally so you know <laughs> i feel like uh may also uses her wits a little bit more i feel like spider-man's very much like okay let's see if this works <laughs> let's see what sticks um mayday's definitely more methodical she really does think about what she's doing a little bit more i think that helps her helps her out well she's also on the ball more like a lot of earlier spider-man especially up to kind of past early college even like a lot of peter's stuff is looking at a situation being like ah that schmuck i don't want to deal with that no no i gotta whereas here she sees a problem and her only kind of you know thing is like should i do this should i break my promise to go help this person is it worth that wait yes okay then she's 100 percent in like there's not this like moral hand wringing on it. It's more like, do I deal with this problem or do I walk away? It's a lot more thoughtful in that way too, which again makes her different and interesting. I think we get back to the fact that Peter, by his origin, he was never naturally disposed to being responsible. Like the power of responsibility was something that was drilled into him. And then by his own origin with uncle Ben dying, he was made to do it by guilt while she's over here and she's motivated by a sense of responsibility that she inherently has. And because she comes from a family where responsibility was important, does she fully understand why Peter takes responsibility? So dear, you know, makes it, it's so important to him, not necessarily, but she just feels it a different way. It's more natural for her. For all that, what you're saying, like, I, I think she's a better character as a role model overall. She's more relatable and her problems are more equatable, which I you know, is relatable, I guess. But I mean, Peter deals with so much heightened stuff and is the, you know, orphan who came through. Whereas, you know, here we have a character who has all these facets of life that he never really touched on as much. And you know, I, I just like that. And I feel like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> I feel like May doesn't teeter totter as much either. Because again, because of Peter's guilt, we, he's always just like, oh man, 
that happen. <laughs> I'll never forgive myself. I don't think they does that as often. So that's also a little bit more helpful for me. It's like, yeah, she goes into it. She, she thinks of the consequences and sometimes there's bad consequences, but she doesn't harp on them, which is, you know, a little nice change of pace. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, this arc ends with her doing some good, recovering this disc that we mentioned earlier uh, that, you know, is supposed to <laughs> be evidence handed to a cop. And I don't know, it, there's a nice end point with her, you know, claiming Spider-Girl a bit more for her own. But at the same time, like, this is just setting up to a whole bunch of other stories that are going to be happening in short succession. So it's very much that serialization coming through. And so this, despite being even on the covers, you know, noted as one arc, it's very much just kind of a handful of issues that will lead to the next, which is very Spider-Man. And despite mm-hmm. the fear of cancellation over and over again, they still made it serialized. <laughs> That's fair. Because, uh, yeah, this book dealt with... A whole... This is one of the few books at Marvel where I feel like the editors and everybody, you know, in-house knew how good it was. And so they'd push and fight for it and maybe look the other way when the numbers weren't there and allow a reboot or whatnot. Uh the only other times I can think of that happening at Marvel within any rough time span at the same era was like Priest Black Panther and Joe Kelly's Deadpool. Like this is one of those rare Marvel books that they knew they had something and the people and the editors had to be fighting for it. And it's also interesting like to think about because this came out maybe five years before it should have in some ways, because mm-hmm. again, the Miss Marvels and the spider Gwens do well. And, and I think that if this series came out then or during that mix of the Miss Marvels and spider Gwens, would have it done better in sales? And also if they maybe like promoted it differently back in the day, they tried making this a web comic, but this is before web comics were as popular in the way they are now. But like, let's say that Marvel focused on only like, teen readers and they like put this on webtoons or something like let's just dream um would have done better you know (laughs) like would have it done better is it is there a different audience now like i would be really curious if if they ever brought it back and and what it would look like would the sales be the same would it be less would it be more uh is there a different audience for it now i'd be really curious yeah i'm curious but it's also bringing it back now is such a different thing than the I mean, this is the first time they really brought it back, to my knowledge. And then, you know, they brought it back pretty hard again with Spectacular, which was a short. I think that was not serialized at all, right? That was just to, you know, have a nice end cap. and. That was the webcomic stuff. So that was when oh. they, like, tried. So originally, they published that as Marvel Unlimited. Like, the, I don't know if that was the beginning of Marvel Unlimited, but they were doing right. exclusive comics. And Spider-Girl was part of it. And then they're like, okay, we got to print these somewhere. So they like did it in that. <laughs> so they were actually digital comics first. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. Cause I, but I mean, coming back now, there's this Spider-Girl. There's a few other Spider-Girls. There's other Spider-Women. Spider-Gwen's such a hot item still. And, I, you know... It, there's so much noise with kind of the female spider equivalent. And this wouldn't even be the only um, spider progeny, right? Like there's another Spider-Man daughter that happened fairly recently. And yeah. did they ever close out the Abrams Spider-Man stun story? Oh, I forget if that was. I don't know if they ever released the last issue. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I know <laughs> I followed it and I didn't like it and they made it very spider-girl-esque and i felt like they almost like stole stuff from spider-girl but it wasn't as good in my opinion i tried doing that and then like you said they had the annie stuff and then depending what they're doing in spider-man now they're definitely referencing one more day a lot so it's just like who the hell knows right and you know i just i feel like it'd be fun to bring back this character because there's so much more weight with this spider girl with over a hundred issues, you know, behind 
the character. It's not just the idea. It's kind of a, a whole world. But they've also done some heavy stuff with the world because there was some MC2 uh, blowing up they did. You know, you know, wreck the house since it's going down Marvel style. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it would be fun, but I, I just feel like as opposed to when it was brought back this time, it would be so different. It would almost be unrecognizable. Yeah, we, we don't want an unrecognizable May. That that would be that'd be too much. But I'm, I think the only way we would maybe get a May Day book is if they made a Spider Girls book where it's like a team book. But those tend yeah. not to do very well with Spider-Man. They had the web of, um, which is also the last time we saw May, the web of Spider-Man, whatever it was called. And it was like a sequel to Spider-Verse. And yeah, yeah it didn't do as well because there's too many personalities. Yeah, well, not just too many personalities, too many personalities that were kind of very similar. Yeah. And you didn't really know, like, why they were put together. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, story-wise. I mean meta wise we know but yeah yeah but like why like why those characters in particular why would they work together and then like let's say okay they had a they had spider gwen and may in the same panels and they didn't really do much with them yeah it's true i mean, of course they were trying to cram a whole thing in three issues so i don't know i think she'd be a fun character to revisit but maybe the best way to do it is to ignore some of the ladder stuff and pretend it didn't happen and come back to her inner inner element i'd be totally fine with that (laughs) um let's see here so shannon i was supposed to ask you this (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel mayday's experience as a teenage superhero really differed versus her father's teenage experience and is she better equipped to succeed i really feel like we touched on this quite a bit already Um, yeah but i do think it's interesting to say like here we're 100 issues past and she's perpetually in high school whereas peter is only in high school for i'm supposed to know this right 36 issues well Um, yeah peter was in high school i think it was chronologically in keeping with time that passed in reality whereas when he hit college that's when the issues started to stack up and actual time passed quicker so um but for for may i mean compared to peter peter like we said he was very like insular he he kept to himself he fought with other people they didn't understand him because he never, I mean, I think he was like the ultimate introvert. So, they, you know, Flash, for all his flaws, it was more rooted in the fact that he just didn't understand how Peter worked and what was going on with him, that he, uh, to an extent, bullied him. But the bullying seemed like it went both ways, to be honest. And because <laughs> he would just lash out at people and all that. And... I think May, like we said, she's much more thoughtful. She's much, she she's got her her mother's extroversion, and people pick up on that 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 she really cares. And I think when we look at Davida, and of course Davida was the better candidate for the student council, mm-hmm. um, but that Davida thought that May had the attitude that would win, you know, the attitude that would that. Would, she was a person that would make a difference that she had that level of thoughtfulness that would get it done and Peter was never looked at as Mr. Popular at all he was never looked at as someone who could get something done he was always looked at someone who was constantly failing at getting things done that he couldn't get anything done because he was always running away and since there was trouble he would disappear yeah he's the poster boy for waste of potential in most people's eyes yeah and they kind of get that vibe with May because she keeps having to disappear, but she still is able to show up and do her volunteer work. She's still able to show up and go to school. She makes it barely to her to her debate. She at least tries to go, right? Like Peter, when he leaves, he's just like, all right, 
I missed that. You know, like, <laughs> like, um, I'm probably oh. not going to to make uh, Mary Jane's play. Uh, but like at least May's like, okay, I might be late, but I'm gonna show up. <laughs> yeah, that that right there is her where she's able to succeed is the fact that because she doesn't push it off and just sort of drag her feet about things that she's able to go and meet and say like, I'm going to sort of triage my life and make my priorities. And these other things are important too, that she is better equipped to succeed because she doesn't put being spider girl, girl above absolutely everything else that she, yeah, they're definitely equal. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a interesting comment of like, her always being in high school. I do wonder, I mean, again, if they ever did a story with May, could she ever go to college? Could she ever be an adult? And would her story be in- interesting if she was? I personally think it would be. I think we've seen her in high school for so long. I'd like to see an older May. Um, I think it'd be really interesting. Maybe not maybe not adult, like 20-something-year-old May. But I'd like to see, like, college-aged May. I would, especially because she's so much under the the roof of her parents i'd really like to see what she'd do on her own no i agree 100 percent. i think that i was honestly kind of surprised like i said i was halfway through a read through and when we knowing that there's 100 issues and then we go to amazing i i kind of figured that's about where she'd be and i was a little shocked i was like oh she's still in high school okay okay <laughs> yeah so Kat, do you have any final thoughts before we move to ranking this no, I think I'm I'm all good. Uh, you guys took such a great deep dive in, into one of my favorite properties, and it, it's always fun just to kind of look back at the character because we don't get to tend to talk about May as often as I'd like. So I guess we'll need your help. Did you have any initial ideas of placement here, or I think it should be in the top twenty-five. Oh yeah, I'd say top twenty at least. So okay, we're looking at the web of rankings and the most comparable story I see on here is Spider-Man the manga, which is our number four, which is kind of an alternate take on Spider-Man that, you know, was starting off its own, its own line. It's a stretch, but as far as what's comparable, it's the best that I got here, which that's right above slingers. Now, I know this is your favorite, but Slingers is my favorite. I think Slingers would be above. I I could agree with that. I'm looking at like 48 hours, too. I'm like, yeah, okay, that would be above (laughs) Spider-Girl. Like, in my heart, Spider-Girl's number one, but I guess. guess. We're also looking at the arc and not like, like, I know she's your favorite character, but I mean, like, you know, it's a a whole thing. Whereas with Slingers, we cheated because that was the entire... Yeah, kid and caboodle there which was short-lived i would place this above ace one and two which i don't know if you guys have read um i don't think i actually have yeah i think i don't have, haven't read that either oh, it's yes. an annual like uh annuals oh my god you're not <laughs> gonna start that debate uh, <laughs> if you haven't it's like this weird it was this weird introduction for a character that just never went anywhere, but he, he he's given this whole backstory. There's this whole comparison with Pete. It's a fun two annuals in annual sequence, and yeah, they're they're a little hidden gem. They're what we're all about. I don't know. They're worth checking out. They're kind of hard to talk about. I already I've already talked about it for long enough. Uh, let's see here. Then. Yeah, let's. Oh, and then Arms of a Man, which is standout.cog. So I, you know, making it our new number nine. Is that is that comfy with everyone? I sure. think that's a very comfy spot. All right. All cozy right there. So number nine out of our seventy-eight entries. All right. That's pretty good. That's a that's a good slot. Yeah. Um. And for those playing the home game, uh, there was a couple entries that got. Nick's because I was going through the list and realized there was a couple uh, episodes on here that was from the nether period where Kane and I talked about them, but they never got finished recording and I took them off the list because there was no episode. There you go. 
thank you so much to everyone for listening thank you so much cat for doing this this was fun this is great this was so much fun i loved it glad to hear it next time shannon what are we doing because this one's your your kid and caboodle it's a it's the missing spider-man story right that's what we're doing yes missing in action yeah spider-man yes so we're we're beginning our new block of stories about spider-man from another perspective uh perspective sort of following a different character and looking in at uh what spider-man means to the community it means to individuals and we're beginning it with a story about spider-man going missing and we follow uh different characters that they try to figure out what happened to him it's gonna be another good one uh (laughs) and please guys if you want to contact us uh twitter we have a facebook uh We'll see about that. And then there's an email, UntilTalksOfSpiderMan at Gmail. No punctuation, all one big long email word, but you can reach us there. Kat, where's the best place for people to find your stuff? Uh, at Comic Uno on Twitter is definitely the best place to contact me. And then uh, my comics, I have an Etsy store, which is under Comic Uno as well. Uh, and then my YouTube channel, it's under Hayden Claire Heroes. But just type in Comic Uno anywhere, you'll probably find me. Great. All right. Well, thanks everyone again. Special thanks to Ellie Badge for the theme song. And shoot. Until Shannon starts dressing like Cad and gets caught up by the hobgoblin needing to be saved, make mine untold. <laughs> sure. 